Good morning, church. It is my delight to read scripture for you today. And again, like so much, it is a story, okay? So you can just listen or you can follow along. This is, I'm going to read from the message um, just because it uh, is easier to listen to, I think, maybe. So here we go. This is 1 Samuel 25, 21 through 35. And so it's David and Abigail are the main characters. As Abigail was riding her donkey, descending into a ravine, David and his men were descending from the other end. So they met there on the road, and David had just said, that sure was a waste, guarding everything this man had out in the wild, so that nothing he had was lost, and now he rewards me with insults. A real slap in the face. May God do his worst to me, if Nabal and every cur in his misbegotten brood aren't dead meat by morning. As soon as Abigail saw David, she got off her donkey and fell on her knees at his feet, her face to the ground in homage, saying, My master, let me take the blame. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I have to say. Don't dwell on what that brute Nepal did. He acts out the meaning of his very name, Nepal. Fool. Foolishness oozes from him. I wasn't there when the young men my master sent arrived. I didn't see them. And now, my master, as God lives and as you live, God has kept you from this avenging murder. And may your enemies, all who seek my master's harm, end up like Nabal. Now, take this gift that I, your servant girl, have brought to my master and give it to the young men who follow in the steps of my master. Forgive my presumption, but God is at work in my master, developing a rule solid and dependable. My master fights God's battles. As long as you live, no evil will stick to you. If anyone stands in your way, if anyone tries to get you out of the way, know this, your God-honored life is tightly bound in the bundle of God-protected life. But the lives of your enemies will be hurled aside uh, as a stone is thrown from a sling When God completes all the goodness he's promised my master and sets you up as prince over Israel, my master will not have this dead weight in his heart, the guilt of an avenging murder. And when God has worked things for good for my master, remember me. And David said, Blessed be God, the God of Israel. He sent you to meet me. 
and blessed be your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and taking charge of looking out for me. That was a close call. As God lives, the God of Israel, who kept me from hurting you, if you had not come as quickly as you did, stopping me in my tracks, by morning there would have been nothing left of Nabal but dead meat. Then David accepted the gift she brought him and said, Return home in peace. I've heard what you've said, and I'll do what you've asked. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> my, name, my name is Lara Dickerson. Uh, I have actually been at Trinity since the first Sunday that I moved to Dallas. Um, I moved here from Memphis to attend Dallas Theological Seminary, and I'm very excited to be with you here this morning. And I want to thank everyone in the body who has helped me uh, to get here and have prayed for me and told me Uh, I really appreciate it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I praise you that you are who you say you are and that we can trust your promises. I thank you that you have given us your word, and I pray that you continue to reveal more of yourself to us during our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you might be familiar with the story, Little Women. It follows four sisters, but this particular scene is just between Joe and Amy. Amy is lamenting that she does not get to go on a metropolitan, fancy night on the town like her older sister, Joe, and she's begging to be able to come along. Joe is telling her she's not invited, she's not welcome. And Joe has recently become Amy's tutor. So she leaves Amy with her homework, saying, I will not have a sister who is a stupid ignoramus. So Amy does the most natural next step. She takes Joe's most prized possession. She's a writer. Joe's been working on a book. Of course, this is before the time where she was going to have any copies stored in the cloud. She takes her most prized possession And she tosses it into the fire, and it goes up in flames. Joe returns back from her night on the town, and she pieces this together. She can understand now the enormity of the loss that she's experiencing. And she goes and finds Amy and lunges toward her, promising mortal harm. I'm going to kill you, she says. Now, I think that we can all recognize, perhaps that characterized some of the uh, interactions between us and our own siblings and our own lives, but I think we can all recognize this pattern where something small becomes bigger and it grows and it snowballs and it takes on a life of its own. 
And that's what we're going to see in the life of David this morning. We're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 25, and we're going to see that David is insulted. We see how he responds when it's just him and his flesh, how he responds in light of who God is, and we'll end thinking about how we can think about applying some of this knowledge to our own lives when we experience slights from others. So we'll pick up in 1 Samuel 25, 2. The narrator introduces us to a man named Nabal. Before we have his name, we know that he's wealthy. It says he's very rich. He has about 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And then in verse 3, it says that David he has heard that it's the time of shearers. And so David and his men have been protectors. They have been alongside Nabal's shepherds, offering a service to him to ensure that all of his assets are safe, right, from looters or robbers or anything like this. And now that it's the time of shearers, it would be customary. It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of sharing your abundance. It'd be customary for David and absolutely reasonable for him to go and request payment. And so we'll pick up in verse 6. He's instructed, he's sending a delegation. David's sending a delegation of about 10 men to go and make this request of Nabal. And he instructs them. He says, first say peace to you and to your household and to all that you have. It hear, I hear that you have shearers. That means he's telling Nabal, I know you have enough, right? He's not trying to offend his honor. He's not concerned um, that he, he's not imposing or asking for too much here, right? He's reminding him this is the social convention. Now your shepherds, I'm returning to verse 7, now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing. So we were good people who didn't bother any of your wealth. We didn't take a single thing for ourselves. We're, we're doing the fair thing. We're asking for payment in the right way, in the socially appropriate way. But don't believe me, he says in verse 8. Ask your men. They'll vouch for us. They'll tell you exactly what I'm telling you, that we've been with them and that, um, that this was a service that should expect payment. So please give whatever you have on this feast day, right? No more than you want to, but remember who we are. And um, Nabal would have been in obligation and in debt to David. So if everything had gone right, we're expecting verse 9 to say, and Nabal said, yep, come on, and then we're done. But Nabal doesn't. He responds in verse 9, and he says, who is David? This is not a question of ignorance. David is the anointed one of Yahweh. And in 1 Samuel 17, we saw that he slayed Goliath. In 1 Samuel 21, we know that the king of Gad, who is in the region, but of course outside of Israel, knows who David is. And later in the text, we're going to find out that Nabal's own wife knows who David is. This is absolutely intended to insult, right? David is the one who's on every interview of every podcast, on every cable news show, doesn't matter your political leanings, on every tabloid and in every newspaper. Nabal knows who David is. Can you imagine being this offensive to a leader 
And on top of that, a leader with such a good reputation, and who is the anointed one, who's going to become king. Nabal could have stopped there, but he doesn't. He, he takes it one step farther. And he says, he doesn't just feign ignorance that he doesn't know who David is. He says, you know, in fact, I've heard that there are some slaves breaking away from their masters. So maybe that's what's going on here. Now, am I expected, Nabal says, to share my bread and my water and my possessions for men that I don't know? So Nabal doesn't just say no to this request, this very reasonable request. He says, absolutely not. And he says no in the most offensive way that he could. Now, the only person who doesn't seem to know that he's in hot water is Nabal himself. So skip down with me to verse 14. We'll see that after this exchange happens, Nabal's own men go to his wife Abigail. They are absolutely expecting retaliation. They know the depth of the offense that they have just witnessed. And they go to Abigail begging her to do something to stop what is obviously going to be in motion here. So let's pop back up to verse 12. David hasn't heard this yet, right? But you can imagine that when his men have come back to report back, the tension is rising with every offense that Nabal has given in this exchange. And so David's response is every man strap on your sword and every man strapped on their sword. Now this was about 600 men, 400 were going with him, 200 were staying behind with the baggage. This is not an intimidation factor. This is not 400 men deep rolling up to Nabal and knocking on the door and saying, excuse me, is Nabal home? I just want to have a little chat. He is absolutely intending mass murder in response to this insult. And we can see his decision-making, David's decision-making, is rash. It has no appeal to Yahweh. It is a significant departure to what we've seen David capable of in terms of restraint in our time last week, where Saul comes into the cave within striking distance, and this man, who is actually trying to kill David, David relents from, backs off from, right? So we would all agree that the insult was a bad idea, and it's offensive, it deserves repayment, especially given the person that it was given to or hurled at, but not deserving of utter destruction and murder. It was not a declaration of war. So David, in pursuing justice in his own hand, pursuing justice with his own ideas, without Yahweh, he goes too far. He himself, in pursuing justice on his own, becomes unjust. When David forgets who God is, he plots revenge. He escalates the offense. And we all might have examples in our own lives where this escalation is rather familiar, right? On what planet do you open 
the news and say that someone cutting someone else off in traffic is an invitation for mortal harm. It isn't. Now, if we stop here with escalations of violence, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting pretty. I can go home. But it doesn't just come out, this tendency to escalate offenses against us, doesn't just come out in expressions of violence. Maybe comes out in our patterns of confrontation, in the need to be the person who has the last word. This minor miscommunication, this minor insult becomes an opportunity to end the conversation and get the nicest little dig in. Now, for me, I'm a little quieter. So this looks like looking up three days after a minor interaction has happened and realizing I'm still stewing on it and asking myself if a 10-second or a 5-second frustration warranted this much blowback. <laughs> Probably not. But there are a whole lot of ways, right, whether that's violence or revenge or even worry, right, this really minor thing just grows and grows and grows and grows. We see in ourselves this tendency to escalate. So as we turn back to the story, what stands between David and mass murder? And Abigail comes into view. So Abigail has been busy. She has been gathering loaves and cakes and figs and wine. She is working to show the hospitality that her husband refused. And she now arrives, verse 23. She gets off the donkey and she bows and humbles herself. She knows who she's talking to. She knows the respect and the deference that David should receive. And she fulfills the social contract. Then in verse 24 and 25, she explains to him. She says, when your men were here earlier, I didn't see them. Nevertheless, let the guilt be on me. Oh, and pay no mind to Nabal. It is as his name suggests, right? His name means the fool. Folly is with him. And then she offers hospitality to his men. Verse 27. Very important here. She does not offer it to David. That would potentially put him in an awkward position in this shame-honor culture that he's a leader who might accept a bribe to come off what his plan was. She rightly, shrewdly offers it to the men. All of these things are integrating this expected social contract, expected exchange, the exchange that um, was not given in, with, in the interaction with Nabal. But all of these things are building up to this exchange in 28 through 31, where Abigail reminds David that he is fighting the battle of the Lord. She reminds David that the Lord will shield him from his enemies. And in verse uh, 30, she concludes, and she says, And when the Lord has done to David, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appointed you prince over Israel, then David will have no shame. He'll have no cause for grief or conscience for having shed blood without cause or for working salvation out with his own hands. And then, after this exchange happened, 
David backs off. He calls off mass murder. And he rounds up 400 men, and he says, we're going to go home. So he recognizes immediately Abigail as an instrument of Yahweh, that Yahweh has sent her to prevent him from doing this. He praises her that she has kept him from blood guilt and from working the salvation from his own hand. And in verse 34, of course, he says, If not for you, not a single person of your household would have been left standing come morning. And that's a lot of people, because that would have included slaves and servants, and we know he's a wealthy guy. So he says, all right. I'm, David says, I'm going go to your, go, go in peace to your house. See, I've obeyed your voice, and I've granted your petition. Nothing is different here, right? They both acknowledge it was an offense. Nothing's really been repaid. And yet he's able to go to his house. What's the difference maker? The difference maker is not that the social contract has been fulfilled now. It's not that the men got the provisions that they asked for. It's not that she bowed to him and she rightly showed deference and that, um, that his ego was stroked a little bit and he puffed up, right? And it certainly wasn't that her femininity did some sort of dance with his masculinity and now that's the difference. The difference is that she reminded him who God is and who he is. And so once that, once he remembers, he can stand off, and he can wait on the justice of the Lord, right? That's not the end of the story. God's not going to forget. And so Abigail goes back home. Nabal's been throwing a party. He had all these provisions. There are a lot of people he's willing to celebrate with. He just didn't invite David. So his heart is merry within him, is what it says in verse 38, and Abigail, sensing the time, says, I'm going to wait because, uh, you know, I'm going to wait till the wine goes out of him till the, the next morning. And in the next morning, she tells him, she says, she tells him of this exchange. She tells him of the generosity that she showed David's men. And it says, his heart died within him and he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal down and he died. God judges the offense against David. God judges Nabal. And David recognizes that in verse 39, saying, Blessed be the Lord for the insult I received at the hand of Nabal has been kept back from his servant. I mean, yeah, he avenged the insult from Nabal. And at the same time, he kept David from blood guilt. So if we compare David's justice it was rash. It was disproportionate to the offense. It just was bloodthirsty and centered on revenge. But God's justice, it was restrained. It was patient. It was intentional. And this offense that only affected Nabal, only Nabal had to pay for. So when David remembers who God is, he can wait on the Lord. What does that look like in our own lives? Maybe it looks like leaning on the Holy Spirit to not go for that jugular comment that we could say. 
Or maybe it allows, it's leaning on the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and allow this interruption in our own standard thinking of stewing on something. But ultimately, what in our lives is going to interrupt the natural progression of who all of us are without intervention? What's natural? Who we are without the Lord, right? We have to know who God is, and then we have to wait on him. We have to know that God is true. There's a lot of things, maybe, that we believe that just aren't true. And also that he is good and right and just, and he's not bloodthirsty. I think we have to remember who God is individually, and I've shared a couple of examples of that, but also corporately, right? It's not just about our individual um, battle or, or journey. It's about who we are becoming as a body, right? To encourage one another by sharing our own stories and telling of the ways that we waited on the Lord and he didn't forget us. And his plan ended up being so much better than us trying to strong arm our circumstances to our own will. But also I think we have a great gift. We have a great gift for those who are outside the church to be able to tell them, hey, you're not too far gone, right? The shame cycle that's in your head, God's not that bloodthirsty. He doesn't want that for you. We get to be the Abigail who, te- who show other people restraint in our conduct and in our interactions with them to show them the restraint of who God is. And that requires us to, to wait, right? We have to wait on the Lord. It's not glamorous. It doesn't look like what the world might define as success. But I think part of that is that we have to recognize our own tendency to be David, our own tendency to overreact, whether that's in our relationship with other people, in frustration, or, or in worry, or in fear, in whatever way it manifests itself, right? Right? And in those areas that might rise to the surface that we say, oh, maybe I did previously overreact in some way, potentially offering reconciliation. And for the future, to be able to rely on the Holy Spirit to stop and reflect and accept an invitation to interrupt our own patterns of thinking. Maybe in asking the Lord to show us the areas of our lives where we might be more than happy to strap on a rhetorical sword, to add fuel to the fire, and the Lord is asking us to wait, to know who he is, and to wait. So I think that there are ways in which all of us potentially have been David, or in the future might be tempted to be like David, and escalating something small to be something so much bigger than it was intended. But I also recognize that we all have had an interaction with a David where maybe we can absolutely recognize and admit that we did something wrong, that we deserved punishment. But man, the one we got, it was so disproportionate to what was reasonable for the scenario. And to that this morning, I want to say That is not God's justice. That is not God's justice. 
And so returning to our example from earlier, I don't know what the right proportionate just reaction that Amy should have undertaken in her interaction with Joe. I don't know what it is. But I do know that she didn't allow any opportunity for interruption for the natural escalation of this offense. So now after our time together, let us remember who God is. Let us remember who we are. And let's take a moment to pray together as we go about our weeks. Dear Lord, we praise you for who you are. That you are just and all of your judgments are right. Grant us strength and wisdom to reflect and discern your truth in the midst of noise and in the noise of our own self-righteousness. Show us the beauty of your justice and the way everlasting as we conduct ourselves in the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.